Welcome to the Cap City Church podcast. This is a recording of our Sunday message. We pray that you're encouraged and challenged as you listen to it. Enjoy. This morning we are going to be in 1 Corinthians 13, but I'm just going to read this short passage from Mark um, first to kind of just um, anchor us somewhere. So Mark 12, 28 to 31 says this. One of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all of your mind, and all of your strength. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So we're going to look today at cultivating love. And we're going to do it through the lens of, of, of 1 Corinthians 13, which a lot of you will know it gets read in, in weddings. It gets read everywhere. This whole idea, we'll, we'll be reading in a minute. And, you, and if you're kind of thinking, I can't really remember what, you know, you're nodding along because you think you should know, but you're like, I can't really remember. You will remember, I promise you, once we read it. But what I want to do is just put a, put a bit of context around it first, what's happening in the, Corinthians, in the Corinthian church. And so if we look at the chapters leading up to this passage, we see that actually the church in Corinth is a bit of a mess. There's, there's pride and there's competition, there's ungrateful attitudes, there's sexual immorality, there's lawsuits, there's divorce problems, they're judging each other, they're complaining, there's really poor behavior in worship and communion, and there's this lack of unity. But also, Paul talks about how the church is doing some incredible things, that he's teaching on spiritual gifts and worship, he's, he's, um, and, and they're setting up correctly and using the gifts of the kingdom, and he's like, he's congratulating them for some of those stuff that they're doing. But if you take those two things, normally it would take multiple books and sermon series for a leader to deal with any and all of those issues that are happening in the church. But Paul does something different. Right at the center of all that is happening within this, Paul teaches on one thing. At the end of the previous chapter in, in 1 Corinthians 12, it says this, are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? He's asking these questions. Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. And then he says this. He says, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. That line, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. So this is his one thing that he wants to and is waiting to teach the Corinthian church. So 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to read it all. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but I do not love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't, have, if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. 
Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustices, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now, our knowledge is partial and incomplete, but even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So the remedy that Paul says in this, the remedy for all of the problems and also how to pursue the gifts available to them in the Corinthian church is first to cultivate the character of love. So I want to start with this, what love isn't. If you take notes, this would be your first thing, what love isn't. And it may be a strange place to start, but I think we all have an idea and an understanding of what love is. So I can say I love donuts and I love my family, but I hope that that word love doesn't hold the same power. So put it this way, I would never say I'd die for that donut. Maybe some of us would, depending on the time of day and how bad work has been. But you understand what I mean. The word love is actually quite ambiguous in the English language because we use it so much in different circumstances. In Greek and throughout the Bible, there are four words that replace the English word for love. There's a fifth word. We won't go into it. It's Old Testament. We don't worry about that today. But in Greek, there's these four words that replace the word for love. And you've got, you've got eros, which is sexual or romantic, so that's your partner or your spouse. You've got philia, which is the brotherly love, which is a close friendship, um, You've got storge, which is family love. That's parents and children, children to parents. And then you've got agape, which is this pure, selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. This is, this is the love that God has for humanity. So in this passage, the word that is being used is agape, love. It's not any of the others. It doesn't, I, I read them all. I went through the Greek to make sure that I could categorically say the word love being used in this passage throughout it all is agape. So in verse 1, it says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Love is essential to anything we choose to do or desire to do in the name of God. We see here that Paul says, Even if you do the miraculous, but, but do it out of, self, out of selfish greed or do it from a personal place, it's useless. There's no point. Signs and wonders are meant to point to God, but without love, the signs are there, but they render meaningless. And sometimes you could say, well, if signs and wonders are there, then God must be there. But it says in Matthew, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me. 
So we can't always say that signs and wonders prove that there's God. What we can say is love does. Love proves that there is God. This, path, this passage in Matthew goes on to talk about the wise and foolish builders. You know, wise man built his house. But you know that one. Everyone knows that one. They both built houses. There was the sign that a house was built. But the one on the sand ended up in destruction. You have to build the solid foundations on God's love. Verse 2, he goes on, If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge and have faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have sacrificial love, I am nothing. Our knowledge of God, the ability to preach or having a strong faith are not substitutes for the love of God. Paul says that the, the object of teaching, the result of knowledge, is the fruit of one's faith and love. Not the other way around. Again, if you want a passage to kind of prove this, 1 Timothy 1, 3-7 says, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculation rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. If you preach the word of God, be careful that you don't move, I'm going to point at myself, into meaningless talk to try and make yourself look better. You lose who God is if you do not do it from a genuine place of wanting to love the people that you are talking to. I am not stood here because I'm more intelligent than anybody else. I shouldn't be stood here because God reveals stuff to me. I should only be stood here because of the desire and love that I have for the people that need to hear the love of God, to experience his goodness and his fullness. All of the teaching that we want to give and receive, any meaningful words will always be born out of love and cultivate love in our hearts if we choose to look for love in everything that we do. If you find yourself angry or frustrated when talking to someone, take a check at yourself. Don't look at them as to why they've made you angry. Why are you angry? Why has it risen within you? You know, there are occasions where righteous anger is a positive thing, but for the most part, anger and frustration at someone or a group does not come from the root of love. Our hearts should break for these people, not harden towards them. We should be weeping for those that we disagree with, not making up great arguments. There's a place for theology, yes. There's a place for discussion, yes. But if you go in there just wanting to change people's minds, you lose the love of God. Verse 3 then says, And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have unconditional love, it profits me nothing. So even passion and generosity are misguided if they're not motivated by love. People will die for ideals. They will devote millions to causes that help others. But if they do it because of pride or misguided loyalty, their sacrifice is useless. Only giving out of love is honored by God. The, the, the woman who gave, um, someone's going to have to help me remember this, but the woman who gave the small amount, 
the tiniest amount. Jesus said of her, you have sacrificially given to me. And it was a smaller amount than anybody else, but it was everything that she had. The size of our gift doesn't matter. It's the size of our heart and our willingness to love God in what we give. Love is not deeds, proof, or knowledge in and of themselves. Those are the outworking of finding your fullness in the selfless, sacrificial, unconditional, agape love of God. So if we know what love isn't, what is love? In this passage, we see Paul write a list of things. He mentions 14 ways to describe the kind of love we're meant to have. And this list isn't a picking list, okay? It's not tick the ones you're good at and just do those. The reality is is that this kind of love requires all of them. Patience, kindness, not jealous, not boastful or proud, not rude, not self-seeking, not irritable, doesn't count wrongs, it rejoices in truth, it never gives up, it never loses faith, it always hopes and it endures through every circumstance. It's not a picking list. You don't just choose the ones you're good at. We have to have them all. And when we look at those things... And when we see these elements in people, we are seeing the character of Christ. We see the agape love. Because it's not based on emotion. It's not based on the feeler love. And it's not based on attraction. You don't do these things because you're attracted, which is eros love. And we don't do things just because relationship, um, which is the storge love. Because those things are easy to do. Love finds its fullness in the difficult places. The love of Paul described here is Christ's love. Agape love. I was talking to Luke and, and he was, reminded me of a quote from Victor Hugo in his book, uh, Les Mis. He says this, to love another person is to see the face of God. To love another person is to see the face of God. Now the book is literally entitled The Miserable Ones. And this beautiful phrase, to love another person is to see the face of God. Someone once said to me that as as Christians, we've mastered the art of loving people in the way that we make decisions and forcing ourselves to do it. It's almost become like this virtuous ability. As Christians, we know we need to love. So, So when a preacher says, love your enemy, we all nod because we can use the ambiguous nature of the word love. I can serve that person coffee. I can nod along when they talk to me. I can give something if they need it. I can keep my mouth shut when they say something stupid. I'm loving them. We know we should, so therefore we do, and we've got this virtue of love. But the real question should be, okay, you can love them. Can you cherish them? Cherish is to love, protect, and care for someone or something that is important to you. The person who has hurt you so deeply or the boss who is constantly out to get you or that colleague who always undermines you or the family member who seems to want to make your life a living hell, can you invest yourself into them? Can you care for them enough to desire to love and protect them so that they are important to you? Selflessly, sacrificially, unconditionally. Could you choose to cherish your enemy. 
Here's why this Victor Hugo quote is so powerful when you think about it. It doesn't say, if you love someone, they will see the face of God. It's talking to you. To love another person is to see the face of God. You see the face of God when you love people. When you love people with the agape love, the selfless sacrificial love, you will see the face of God. I'm fine, thanks. Because of who God is, we benefit. We benefit from cherishing unconditionally, selflessly, and sacrificially. There is the outworking of the upside-down kingdom in Jesus right there. It's upside-down for me to cherish my enemy, but I get to see the face of God when I do. The thing about this love, it, it's impossible for us to achieve by trying to just fulfill the list, that idea of the virtuous list. If I just go through these 14 things, I'll get it. The problem is we're not born with that kind of love. We're not born with that ability to do all of those things. Hard as we may try, we cannot attain the kind of love without the key to doing so. And that key, that fulfillment, is found in the character of God and the promise of Jesus. That's where we find it. And so what is love? Love is eternal. The very character of God is love eternal. Paul talks about this in verses 8 to 11. He says, some things we, the church, need for now, like prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. However, the day will come when these things will no longer be necessary because we will be able to experience the fullness of our relationship with God. That experience will not require prophecy, tongues, or knowledge. The core of our experience with God will always be love. Him loving us and us loving him. As we cultivate love, we are cultivating the only thing that we will take with us into eternity. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledges will become useless, but love will last forever. God, in his very nature, is love, and we are participants and carriers of that love. And for us to cultivate it and experience it in his fullness, it is to seek it through the lens of Jesus Christ. We cannot do it by ourselves. There was no way throughout the entire history, you read the Bible and look historically, we tried and tried and tried and failed every time. Christ was the only way that this fulfillment could be found. Christ who is the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus the perfect, who made himself man so that we would be able to experience the fullness of God's love. The one who loved ultimately paid the ultimate price so we could truly love. Earlier in this letter to the Corinthians, Paul talks to the church about how they've been abusing the Lord's Supper and making it a place where people get drunk and some don't get to participate and there are factions and strife within the congregation. And Paul addresses these things and instructs them in how to do it right. 
And it's, he's really strong with his language, but he puts this right in the center of that whole section again. So in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26, he says this, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Paul is instructing his church through Corinthians. And he puts these passages right in the middle of, of where he's admonishing them and where he's, he's correcting them and where he's guiding them. And one is pointing directly to Jesus and one is pointing directly to love. He's telling them to remember who Jesus is and to love with the love that God has for us. I was wondering whether or not to say this, but we're going to come into land soon. But Paul says at the start of what I just read, he said, he sought the Lord to pass on to the Corinthians what he'd received. And I was preparing this uh, in the past few, few days. I felt the Lord share something with me. Just, just a few paragraphs. And I just ask if I could share that with you if you can open your hearts. And so can, can, we, can we move from teaching just into receiving? Can I ask that you open your hearts to God in this moment? If it's a posture that you need to take, if you need to close your eyes, if you need to just take a moment and say, God, I, I'm going to listen. Can we do that? Just in this moment. This is what I feel God is saying to us as a church in how we cultivate love. He says this, he says, loving is a heavy burden, but it is possible if your desire is to cherish. So cherish my little ones and not just the ones who are easy. Cherish the difficult and the burdensome. Cherish the smelly and the angry. Cherish the vile and the reviled. Cherish your brother who has burned you and your sister who has broken you. Cherish your neighbor and cherish the foreigner. This I know is a heavy burden, but it's possible. And it is possible by practicing loving me. So I ask, can you cherish me, my child? The one whose body was broken for you and the one whose blood was spilled for you and the one who bears the physical scars for eternity so you can sit in the fullness of the agape love of the Father. The one who chose to empty himself knowing we could never attain this love without him and the one who makes the way not easy but simple and safe. 
And child, I know this can be a scary thought, but it is possible. It is possible if you let me cherish you. Let me come close. Let me come close in my child. I knew this was going to happen. Let me come close in my child. Show me your hidden scars. I've already seen them. Let me sit with you and listen. For I already know the burdens and the pains and the angers of your heart. As for your doubts and your worries, ones you've held on to for too long now, and thinking they disqualify you somehow, release them to me. I won't admonish or reprimand you. I will hold you close and I will whisper, my little one, I cherish you. You can put your trust in me. For as you do these things, you will truly learn to love and truly you will see the face of God. In 1 John 4, it says this, it says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the father sent his son to be the savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment and that shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. To truly love another is to see the face of God. Church, to cultivate love, it's not easy, but it's simple. Let God love you. You love God. And loving others will be a byproduct of it. Let God love you. You love God. And loving others will be a byproduct. Some of us, I think, we, we've been hurt, we've been broken, we've been damaged. 
and some of us have uh, put that kind of pain onto God. And I'm not going to say to you, you need to remove that pain. I don't, think, I don't think that's what God would say. I think God would say, I know you've done that. And I still want you to come in close. I still want you to experience my love. I still want you to, to be held in my arms. We sang it this morning and, and I was listening to something this morning and, and it was sang again today and God's good when he talks to us. Your name is, is engraved on his hand. Not, not tattooed or written in Sharpie. Your name is engraved on his hand. There is a permanence to the love that God has for you. There is a forever because of Jesus. We're going to respond and um, I've been doing this thing recently where I like to kind of say to God, okay, I'm going to leave the response time up to you and it's going to scare me because I don't know what we're doing. But I think God speaks. He's, he's alive. He, it's not empty words. We we hear him and his breath speaks to, it, speaks to us today as, as I'm talking. And so what is our response? I think, I think there are individual responses that need to happen. I think there's a corporate response that, that God will do. And so let's just ask God. So where we are now, can we, again, just have a posture where we just ask God, Lord, Lord, I come to you. I come to you for me, for our church, for our family. Lord, what do you want to say to me? What do you need me to hear? How do I need to respond? I just feel for some of us that we're, uh, we're scared of the silence because the silence allows um, thoughts in. I just sharing a testimony. I think for about a year now, I don't think I have had silence in my life because silence has scared me. And so I, I literally play stuff through the night because I know I'm going to wake up and I don't want it to be silent because, because of, of things that have been going on in my mind and the pains and the struggles. And recently, I, just in the last week, not even in the last week, in the last couple of days, I stopped doing it. And it's been hard. It's been difficult because silence can be painful. But as those thoughts have been flooding to the front of my mind, I've just been trying my best to focus on Christ. Just to have an image in my mind. Sometimes I don't even have words or the ability to to express how I'm feeling, but just to allow those thoughts and those worries and those anxieties to come past me. And I just I focus on, a, on an image of the cross and an image of the empty grave in equal measure. Because those pains go through the cross and they are released through the empty grave. And so for some of us, can I just encourage us to remember that God cherishes you 
He knows all of this stuff already. He knows that you're angry. I don't have an answer or a, or a decision or a solution for you, but I'm just going to point to Jesus. I think for some of us, we've got um, a calloused heart. Again, I'm going to speak from experience. Why not? But I've been asked, I asked a friend of mine recently that, that my heart has started to be calloused because of, of anxieties and things that I just don't want to, I just, I can't, um, they overwhelm me. And, and there's a difference between having tough skin and, 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 and a hard heart. You can, it's really important that you have a tough skin. Yes, you don't let everything just affect you, yes. But the problem is that sometimes we, we, we draw that tough skin into our hearts and it calluses our hearts and we've become bitter and angry. And we've allowed those calluses to kind of take root in the heart because they've penetrated through the, the tough skin, the wall that, that, is, that is important. And for you, I just, pr- I just pray that God would wash away those calluses, that he would soothe them with his love and with his oil and with his anointing, just start to remove those calluses and build that, that tough skin again, build it away from your heart, that your heart would break for your enemies, that, that you wouldn't become bitter and angry you would start to see a change in your life where those, those things or those situations or those people or even God that's annoyed you, that you're not angry and bitter about it, but your heart breaks for it because your heart is soft towards the Father. And just for some of us, we just need again just a refreshing of the Father's love, just, just a renewing and a restoring a yes and amen that comes, comes with everything that's been shared today. A strengthening, another step on the ladder, another move towards, towards Christ-like love. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about us, visit our website, capcitycardiff.org.uk. 